This is the Seven Figure Agency Podcast. Discover the strategies and techniques to grow a highly successful and profitable digital marketing agency with your host, Josh Nelson. All right, well, hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on today's session, uh, the Seven Figure Agency Podcast. I am super excited to be joined today by Mike Michalowicz. Uh, you probably recognize the name from Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, um, Fix This Next, a bunch of amazing books. I can say personally, I, I've read most of Mike's stuff. I've sat in several of his live sessions. I can say the Profit First model really changed our business and moved us from kind of like where we were making lots of money, but not necessarily mm. as much profit as we wanted. So when the opportunity came up to have him on the podcast, I was super pumped. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Josh, thank you for having me. I appreciate this. So I guess I'd love it if you could just kind of start with a quick background about yourself. I know I kind of introduced you a little bit, but kind of your background and how you became this uh, world-renowned guru that you are today. Yeah, so, and uh, I don't know about guru, but I, I am an um, entrepreneur gone full-time uh, small business author. So uh, ever since I uh, graduated college, I've run businesses. I was in the tech space, had a couple exits had a private equity transaction. I had a Fortune 500 exit. Uh, but I also ran, and I think it's the interesting part of my story, I ran an angel investing company and I was clueless. No idea what I was doing. So I started 10 companies that all failed. I wiped out, evaporated all my wealth, uh, destroyed myself, lost my house, all that, and had to restart. And um, well, I think that's the most important part is I, I didn't realize how little I knew about entrepreneurship. I was in the right place, the right time but was executing from a standpoint of arrogance and ignorance, which is a deadly combination. And um, there's a saying, Josh, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? And I always dreamed like one day, you know, I would love to be an author. And uh, I found there's another complimentary question. When you have no money, what's your vocation to create your dream? And when, when the answer is the same, like I said, I'm going to be an author, a sustainable author, meaning I'm going to make a living doing this. And it's my dream. Those two answers coalesced. And it was, it was clear this is what I had to commit to. So today, I'm a full-time author. I've written, you can see the books I positioned very well for marketing right behind me. Very and nice. um, that's what I, what I do. I, I help small businesses um, face the different challenges that they, they will face and hopefully simplify the process for them. Fantastic. So I, we recently did a session in our group actually called the, the Profit First Agency. Uh, one of your... your um, Certified partners, uh, yeah. Mike Tasner is in the group, and he did oh, cool. on that. And so I was wondering, I, I, I've read the book, I've heard the whole concept a number of times. But we, I was sitting in a session where you introduced it live, and you kind of talked about how you came up with with profit first, and it was a, like a light bulb moment for me. I wonder if you can kind of walk through that high level, you know, just like how you came sure. up with the concept. Sure. So there, there was a statistic. Uh, produced, I think, part by the SBA. I don't actually know the relevant uh, sources anymore. But here's what I heard, that 83% of small businesses are surviving check by check. 83%. The vast majority of people that start a business, and understand this, they start a business with the dream of financial freedom. That's why I started my business, and personal freedom. I want to do what I want. And the, the two things we dream about, that personal freedom, that financial freedom, the two things we don't get, 83% of us, so most businesses, when it comes to the financial side, don't have enough money today to pay their bills next week, let alone payroll, unless substantial sales come in. It's a very hand-to-mouth kind of existence. And I was wondering, how come so many people, and there's 180 million small businesses globally, 
And a small business, by the way, defined by the SBA, is a company that does $25 million in annual revenue or less. That's my business for sure. It's probably many of the folks listening in right now. Yeah. You know, we're the backbone of the economy. How come so many of us uh, are committed to, to building a profitable company, are able to attract clients, uh, service the business? There's millions of different components that happen within the company, and we do it all, except the one thing we wanted finances, the cash at the end, profit doesn't happen. Why? Well, I believe it's the foundational formula that we use. The traditional, what's called gap, generally accepted accounting principle, foundational formula for profitability is your sales, your revenue, minus your expenses results in your profit. So sales minus expense equals profit, which logically makes sense. But behaviorally, it is the most damaging formula because it's telling us that profit comes last. In fact, it's so pervasive that's in our vernacular. We call it profit the bottom line. We call it the year end. All those things mean last. And it's human nature. When something comes last, it means it's insignificant. It can be ignored. It's the manana syndrome. So what I teach in profit first is we flip the formula. It's sales minus profit equals expenses. And what I mean in practice here is every time we have a, a deposit come into our business through a sale, we immediately take a predetermined percentage of that money five or 10 or 15, 20, whatever percent, allocate it toward profit, hide that money from our business, and then live off the remainder. The business lives off the remainder. It's the pay yourself first principle applied to business. Yeah, wonderful. And I, I think one of the things you mentioned as you were explaining, it was something about like the concept of serving trays. And like at, at, at Thanksgiving, you don't just like serve from the one big tray. Can you talk through that a little bit? Because I think that was something that really clicked in my mind. Yeah, so what we have to do is we want to intercept our natural behavioral path. So profit first is based upon behavioral mechanics. And what I observed in myself and in all the entrepreneurs I was interviewing and surveying was that most of us revert to what's called bank balance accounting. I don't read my income statement, balance sheet, and cash flow. I don't tie those things in together. I don't know the metrics. But what I do know is I can log into my account this morning and if I have money, I can spend it. And if I don't, you know, I better sell something quickly. So if that's our natural path to log into our bank account, we need a system set up there to intercept that. Just, just as a quick aside, I, I work out regularly now, not because I love working out or because it's wired into me. I figured out my behavioral path. When I wake up in the morning, the very first thing I do is go to the bathroom. And I used to then get a cup of coffee and so forth. Well, since I go to the bathroom first, what I do is I put my sneakers on my toilet seat. So the only way I can use the bathroom is by grabbing my gym sneakers. And now I put them on and I started the pattern to exercising. Intercept the path. Well, what we do with our finances is since we're logging to our bank account, we set up multiple accounts there. There's five foundational accounts. And this is what they are. The income account, profit, owner's pay or owner's comp, tax and operating expenses. And these all can be checking accounts at your bank. But what happens now is money flows in, deposits come in from sales and it goes into the income account. But the income account, to your point, Josh, acts like a serving tray, kind of like Thanksgiving dinner. When, when dinner's served, you don't just tell your guests at the table, hey, everyone fight for it, fight for it, whatever you want, just go for it. No, you're just a serving tray so that everyone can get a slice of turkey. Well, the same thing, this is now a cash turkey. Your business has multiple responsibilities with that cash. Cash comes into the income account. It's a cash turkey. We carve it up. A percentage goes to profit. We already talked about that. By the way, that's a reward for the shareholder for starting the business, being the backbone of our economy. The portion goes to owner's compensation. That's the pay for being an owner operator, working in the business. If you had to replace yourself, what would you pay yourself a salary, that person? That's what that is. Taxes, the biggest bill associated with operating a business that we are least prepared for 
is the subsequent tax consequences. Mm -hmm. So this pays all of the tax consequences for the owners of the business, personal income tax, and any of the business liabilities. And the last account is OPEX. Now what we're doing is when money flows in, we carve it up to its responsible account prior to spending the money. So we know what the money's intended use is before we even access it. Yeah, such a, such a powerful concept. And, and when you do it, it's like magically there's money there for profit and everything else. Yeah. And when you don't, there's magically not. Like the money will, it's a Parkinson's law, right? The money's going to get spent. You know, you know your stuff. That's exactly what it is. So Parkinson was a theorist from the 1950s studying human behavior and noticed this interesting phenomena. As supply of a resource expands, he argued that our demand, our consumption of that resource expands. I like chocolate chip cookies. You put one chocolate chip cookie in front of me, I'll have more of one. If you put more than one, I'll have more than one. So as there's more available supply to consume, we'll consume more. Right now, with this coronavirus going on, toilet paper, right? The entire supply. If, if the store had one roll of toilet paper, it would be gone. They have thousands of rolls, they're all gone. So there's more supply, we start consuming more. Well, it applies to toilet paper, it applies to food, but it applies to money. As more money is available to our business, is flowing in, and we see it all available, we'll naturally consume more. It's a biomechanic response. We're like, oh, look how much money I have. I can buy that thing. I can justify that spend on that new equipment. I can make that higher. But we spend the money without considering all of its intended uses because all the money is in one pot. And what many businesses will experience, Josh, is your revenue does something like this. Hopefully, over time, it goes up. But our expenses run at this almost uncannily parallel. And mm -hmm. the reason it runs so parallel is because of Parkinson's law. What Profit First does is intercept and leverage Parkinson's law in our favor. Because income's increasing, but now we're extracting profit out, it puts a lower barrier for what we can spend. And still, we'll, we'll spend up to that limit. But since there's this capture point between removing profit, you don't overspend. Yeah, it's powerful, powerful stuff. I, I think there's a, there's a mindset issue with most digital marketing agencies where they feel like, it's almost like a badge of honor to reinvest in the business, to, you know, take whatever, you know, we made 30 yeah. grand this month, a hundred grand this month and oh, well, we're going to reinvest so we can grow. And so we can right. hire people. Can you talk a little bit about why that's a, a faulty mindset? Such a trap. Yeah. So reinvest, in other words, plow back are soft terms for the word expenses. We just don't like to say that. We don't like to say I'm incurring more expenses because that's tough to swallow, but we do like to say we're reinvesting and plowing back. So, what we're doing in this situation where we're applying back means there was money for a period of time reserved as profit, but instead of distributing to shareholders, we're going to put it back in the business and the business is going to use that to hopefully grow. But the thing is what that negates is actually thoughtful investment. Thoughtful investment is where we have a clear uh, ROI. Specifically, we know if I put a dollar in, I'm going to get $2 back within 60 days. That is something I want to make an investment in and I can borrow money for that. But what happens with most businesses, they say, oh, we have this extra money here. Let's just put into growth, but there's no consideration of ROI. It's like, hey, Facebook ads are the hot thing, right? Um, I'll throw some Facebook ads out there. Or maybe, you know what, why don't we go offline and do a postcard campaign and let's just try it out. But there's been no testing, no preparation, no understanding. So be very cautious about those terms. Reinvest and plow back means often you're not being innovative enough. If you took that money off the table, if you took that reinvestment or plowback and actually allocated as a profit, how would you grow your money without having to take on more expenses? Start thinking that way. And when you do, you start being much more innovative. You start cost controlling. So whenever I hear reinvest or plowback, I know this business does not understand its expense control and does not know ROI, or at least does not have an understanding specifically of their ROI.
Yeah, yeah. And it seems like, I don't know why, it's, it's, there's this um, almost like, it feels like that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and it's just. Well, it's perpetuating the media. You know, um, that's what we're told. Uh, every event you go to is other entrepreneurs. The conversation isn't how healthy is your business, which it should be. It's how big is your business? What's your right. revenue? All the mindset is on the, I call it the entrepreneur Joneses, right? It's all about comparing the top line. And I was living that. I, I remember going to my first entrepreneur's kind of gathering at a $250,000 business. And I was, thought it was hot crap. And I walk in, someone's like, I have a half million dollar business. I'm like, oh my God, I suck. I got to do half million. And when I did that, there was other guys doing a million. When I hit a million, they were doing five. When I hit five, they were at 10. I, had, I hit seven. And I was like, ah. Oh. And, and the thing was, it was all about this race to nowhere. I was comparative. The one question that didn't come up was, hey, how healthy is your business? What's the profit like? In, in, the, in the secluded dark room off the side of the networking event where two people were having a canned conversation after maybe a shot of bourbon, that's when you found out, oh, you have a $10 million business that's going under. That's where you heard the real story. And what we just need to do is change the conversation to how healthy is your business. Next time someone asks how many employees you have or how much sales you have, say, hey, why don't we talk about profitability, sustainability of my business? Mm -hmm. I'm more impressed by a company that does say $100,000 and they're posting a $90,000 profit than a company that has 10 million with a $90,000 profit. Right. Sales translates to stress on an organization. So the more sales I have, the more that top line grows, the more responsibility my organization has to deliver. And as a small business owner, the more burden I'm carrying on my back. So sales simply means stress. I want to know the profit and that, that's the health of an organization. Yeah, no, no doubt. So, so practically speaking, you know, what's the, what's the best way for, for digital marketing agents to learn more about this? Obviously read the book, but practically speaking, like what are the, what are the next steps in order to implement profit first? Yeah. So yeah, reading the book will, will definitely help, but I'll give you one warning is that if you try to implement the entire system immediately, it can become overwhelmed. We're very fortunate now. We have well over 300,000 companies that have implemented profit first and we have we have thousands and thousands of case studies. Mm -hmm. Here's what we found the common thread to be. The businesses that have successfully implemented profit first have done it by do it, taking one small step at a time. And the first small step is just set up one account, a profit account. I already alluded to the foundational five accounts. You can even set up six, seven, eight accounts. But start off with just one and call it profit. And what you do starting today is you allocate 1% of your income. So if a thousand bucks comes in, you take 1%, which is $10, you put in the profit account. And what happens to your revenue and the use of that money is inconsequential. $1,000 versus now $990 usually won't have any impact on your business. It's inconsequential. But what's highly consequential is the fact you've allocated $10 to a profit account. And it's just a matter of time before you look and say, wow, I can, what if I allocate 2% or 3%? And most businesses that have successfully rolled out profit first do it over three to six months. They start building this momentum and muscle around profit, and then they start adding the other accounts. So our, our rule here, start slow and then let it grow. Got it. So don't try and hop into the whole process, set up the five accounts, start moving, you know, 20% to this one. 50. Yeah, yeah. Too, too much, too fast. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm, my son and his, my nephew, is, they want to do a Spartan race. Now, those two guys are 18. Clearly, I'm not 18. And uh, they're <laughs> like, hey. Really can, fit, well, thank you. He goes, okay, but can you, you know, do the Spartan race with me? I'm like, I'm going to do it. So they don't need a coach. I do. And I talked to the coach and he says, listen, you're going to be running like crazy. You're going to be lifting weights. Here's what we're going to do in the first day of practice. We're not going to run the marathon. The first day of practice is proper form, stretching, building toward it. 
if you if you're preparing for a marathon for example and you start by running a marathon on your first practice you are prone to significant injury you're not going to complete it and then we're going to abandon it so start slow build that momentum that strength and then keep it keep being persistent about it and then it comes actually becomes enjoyable exercise but also accumulating money is a fun experience yeah no no doubt so i'll just say i mean on this on this topic you know as agency owners it's we run businesses to make profit, right? So it's not about the revenue. It's about the amount that you keep. The best way to do it, read Profit First, dive into the Profit First agency training that Mike uh, Tasker did and, um, and start like Mike is, like Michalowicz is saying, like start with one account, start moving a little bit right away and, and build this muscle because there's nothing more depressing. I've experienced it to grow to seven figures and beyond and be making as much as you were when you were at 500,000, right? It's, I, th- I don't know if this is your quote or somebody else's, but revenue is vanity and profit is sanity. That's right. Not, it's not my quote. That's been around. Yeah, revenues is uh, vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is king is the, the final part of that statement. Um, yeah. And it's floated around forever. And it's a truism. It's just a simple fact. But it is very normal and human get caught up in the how big is it contest and the entrepreneur Joneses. Yes. So we, we do want to take pause here. And that's what profit first does is when that money comes in, I used to have a $10,000 deposit. I'm like, woohoo, I got 10 grand. And now I realize, no, no, I don't. When 10,000 comes in and gets carved up, I may have 6,000 to operate my business. And the 4,000 has responsibility to profit and paying myself and reserve for taxes. It just gives you a much better perspective of what's truly available to operate your business. No, no doubt. So I wanted to make sure we had time to, to kind of pivot a little bit. I, I, I could probably, we could probably talk about profit first for, yeah. but there's a massive economic crisis happening right yeah. now. This interview is happening called the, the coronavirus. And um, when I posted up in the group, you know, what, what questions should I ask Mike? Uh, a lot of them were like, what is he thinking about this, this crisis? How should businesses try and financially prepare? We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So we're in the thick of it now and uh, there's, there's no question in my mind that there's going to be sustained uh, negative impact, that, that this will trigger a recession. Maybe it won't, but I can't, I see all indicators pointing to that. Now, one, here's one good thing about being a small business. As a small business, we have the right to choose to participate or not in an economic crisis where big business has no choice. Big business are, is affected by the numbers, but small business, think about it. You know, if we lose 10 or 15% of our clients, that may represent five, 10, 15, 20 clients. It hurt, it's hurtful, but it can be changed because we have the ability to get those 10, 15 or 20 clients elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So we have to actually be proactive in our marketing and catching it on. The big businesses, you know, they lose 10 or 15%. They lose thousands and thousands of clients. So what you're going to see, especially in digital marketing, the bigger agencies are going to start losing clients. We have an opportunity to pick them up. Maybe offer them a new flavor or a new approach to their, their resources. But Inevitably, in these situations, I see the, the big companies serving the big clients. Those big clients start stepping down to smaller businesses. Hmm. So, but, but we have to see this as an opportunity. If we go in and say, holy crap, things are going to get bad. I think it was Henry Ford who said, if you think you're right or wrong, or if you think it's true or not true, you're right, something like that. But yeah. whatever our thoughts are become a reality. So I totally bastardized his phrase. But if, <laughs> if we think that this is going to be devastating to our business, it will be. If we think this is an opportunity to grow our business, we will do that. It's going to be hard. You will have to change some of your offering, but watch the bigger clients stepping down. And that's an opportunity for us small guys. No doubt. Good, good opportunity there. How about like financial planning wise, any suggestions on 
you know, how to maybe you put more into the profit account and take less as a distribution. Any, any thoughts on, on that front? Yeah. So, I mean, the nice thing is I'm getting emails from people that started profit first two, three years ago and they're like, wow, I got a cushion for the first time in my life. That definitely makes it softer, but there's also a risk too to continue to run business as per usual, living off a cushion. So I wouldn't change any profit allocations yet, but if you have to, if you have established profit first, if you start dipping into it, <clears throat> that's a call that we need to cut down some costs uh, pretty quickly. Um, but I would actually not make any changes as much as moving toward marketing and sales. I would not amplify my profit account because now you're trying to run an even leaner machine and potentially lean times and that could be at risk. So I would actually just leave everything status quo. The thing not to do is to reduce your profit. So don't increase it, but definitely don't reduce it. Leave things status quo because profit first is an indicator. If you are funding account your money to profit and so forth, and then there's not enough money left in your operating expenses, that's your business telling you it is being affected right now. And you got to get sell your way, uh, sell, you know, for more revenue or you start cutting costs. So the reaction to this situation is monitor, cool, calm monitoring of your profit account. Makes a lot of sense. And, and don't start to think, well, it's a tough time. Everybody's going to struggle. I'll just take less profit during this period. Yeah, don't do that. You got to realize you've got a profit first that you've allocated. You've got an operating expense account. If you're overspending the operating expense account, that means it's time to reduce overhead expense or sell more, right? If I'm understanding what you're saying. That's exactly right. So great, great advice. Yeah. And you know, and this is an opportunity to market too. What we're going to see is the most, the number one cost that gets cut is marketing right now, right? So uh, advise your clients saying this is the biggest opportunity because your competition is going to drop marketing. We see it consistently in a down economy. So this is an opportunity to sustain your marketing or even increase it because now there's a gap, open space of marketing opportunity. Yeah. And, and if you look at it from the perspective of you know, a lot of us do SEO and pay-per-click social yep. media management, the idea of, look, things are slow. Let's, let's really invest in building your organic footprint. So as the economy comes back online, you've got better placement, you're better positioned yes. on the market. As your competitors are being less active with pay-per-click advertising, that means there's going to be lots of search volume, people sitting at home, but a lower cost per click. They can remain more dominant in their market for their services while spending probably less. And yeah. so if you can have those types of strategic conversations, you can spin this to a positive for your agency and your clients as well. Perfect positioning. Exactly. Yeah, no, no doubt. So you're, you've rolled out a new book recently and you've got it there in the back. Fix, yeah. Fix this next. Let's talk a little bit about what that is and kind of what you're up to on that front. Yeah. So it's interesting. The, the timing is a little bit ironic. It's, it's just releasing now. It releases April 28th officially. Okay, cool. It's still, it's still not out. Or it's still not out officially, but it's available for pre-order. It's on Amazon. What I did was I wrote the book to address the biggest challenge entrepreneurs have. And what it is, is the biggest challenge entrepreneurs have is knowing what their biggest challenge is, particularly in times of crisis where there's all this information. There is a disproportionate amount of information around the epidemic, this case, uh, coronavirus over all these other things going on. So it has to draw our attention. How do we decipher what's the one thing our business needs now? What's the most vital need it has in the moment? So fix this next is a tool based upon Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I translate into what's called the business hierarchy of needs. There's five stages of business experiences and at times it will cycle up and down these stages. The foundation is sales and marketing. We have to have that for the creation of cash. Above that, we talked about is profit. That's the creation of stability for a business. 
Above that, it's called order. It's the maintenance or maintenance of efficiency. Above that's impact and the highest level is legacy. Those are all about contribution. Our business, we have to ask ourselves critical questions of what are we experiencing now? A lot of businesses uh, will revert to, oh my gosh, I need more sales right now, uh, when actually the solution may be to shore up some of the profitability or at least sustain profitability. Other businesses, sales are not going to grow much. <clears throat> so the opportunity is at the order level, creating efficiency throughout the organization. The greatest way to cut costs without actually cutting off any of their benefits is to create efficiency through your organization. Get things more done, uh, get more things done effectively and without much effort, and you're actually creating cost efficiencies. So fix this next, and in the book, I have these 25 questions. You can evaluate where your business is right now in the moment and what one thing you need to tackle. And in response to the um, coronavirus and what's going on, and since this book isn't coming out, we've activated our website. It's called fixthisnext.com. People can go to fixthisnext.com, enter their, uh, uh, enter to the free evaluation, and for free, uh, you can get a full evaluation of your business and what you should be working on right now in this, this circumstance. Nice. So fixthisnext.com. Dot com, and there's an evaluation that will help kind of play a pinpoint focus on next. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I was just, I was just reading uh, this week and this morning again, I was reading Extreme Ownership uh, by Jocko Williams, and uh, really a fascinating read. And they talk about how the military, particularly Navy SEALs, respond to a situation where there's information overload, uh, kind of like now, and how we have to slow down, take pause, and think very decisively. But, but give ourselves pause to evaluate. That pause part's hard. So the fix this next evaluation is that pause. It forces you to spend three, four minutes just thinking about your situation before taking action. No, that makes a lot of sense. Sounds like a, sounds like a great book. Everybody should go check that out and kind of wait with bated breath. I imagine it's going to be on audible.com as well. Right? Audible. Yeah, I finished recording a few weeks ago. I'm super excited about it. This is my life's work. I'm, I'm, it's a culmination of all the research I've done over the last 10 years as an author and for the entirety of my entrepreneurial career. Um, so it, 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 I really hope that this helps people just be very specific and deliberate in the growth of their business and not reacting to th these outside influencers that we can't control. Mm. So it sounds like it couldn't come at a better time either. So um, yeah, it's, it's ironic, right? Yeah. This is the time we need it. It's, it's kind of ironic. Yeah. I'm definitely excited about it. So are, are any other nuggets, pieces of wisdom you would have for that digital marketing agency probably doing high six figures, trying to yeah. go to six figures and beyond. Yeah. I have one more big nugget and I, I want to go back to profitability. Okay. I want everyone listening to know your clients want you to be profitable. They want you to be wildly profitable, particularly in times like these, because there is so much distraction. Now here's the thing. They will not say, Hey, can you charge me more? You know, can you ramp up the prices on me? Absolutely. They'll never say that. But what they will say is, I need your firm's undivided attention. Marketing to us matters more than anything right now. I need you devoted to me, not worrying about the next customer you need to bring in the door. All that says is that they want you to be profitable because the only way not to be distracted or panicked about the sustainability of your business is to have a healthy bottom line. Therefore, you must be profitable. Every single transaction, we need to make profit a habit. Profit's not an event. It's not going to happen eventually. Profits and habits baked into your business and your clients want it for you because if you're profitable, you can pay attention to them and serve them the way they need to be served right now. Yeah. Powerful. So one of the, one of the questions that, that came up that I, I don't even know if you can address it was, um, you know, some people that are a little further along in this process, they've got yeah. their profit account set up. What's an ideal allocation for an agency 
Um, can you speak to that at all? Or I guess that would require more hands-on. Yeah, no, I, I can speak to it a little bit. So um, in, in the book, Profit First, we did a survey of a thousand businesses. Now this was industry agnostic. We looked at marketing agencies, we looked at pizza shops and we looked at you know, professional services and everything in between. What we found is there's a certain, what we call taps or target allocation percentages that these businesses were achieving among the fiscally elite. So a company doing like one to 5 million, if I remember the numbers right, we're posting about 10% profit uh, or more. 10% of that money is going to owner's compensation, 15% to tax and then the remainder, which is 65% was going to OPEX. And as an example, say you're a $2 million company, $2 million company was posting a $200,000 bonus to the owners at the end of the quarter or year uh, mm -hmm. through the profit account. The owner was taking home 200,000. There's 300,000 being reserved for taxes. Cause when you start making income like that, your tax bill will be big. And the business was living off the remainder, which is 1.3 million was yeah. running the business. Now those are simply taps. And what we found is about 5% of the business population, the fiscally elite are achieving that. So I suspect one or two people listening to the podcast right now are achieving numbers like that. And if you are, keep growing. Why not become the elite of the elite? Mm -hmm. But the majority of us are not achieving numbers like that. Now you have a target. I wouldn't start there. Use the method we talked about. Take small incremental steps, but consistent steps to get there. Um, but that would be a target of what we want to move toward. So it's, if I heard those numbers right. It's, it's a net profit to the owner of somewhere around 30 to 35%. Yeah, well, exactly. So you, know, you, you read it exactly correctly. And a lot of people get confused about that tax count. So 10% to profit, 10% to owner's comp, 10 15% to tax adds up to 35%. You nailed it. But people say, but my tax goes to the government. Exactly. Property. Yeah, exactly. But they don't, you just call it a tax. You're reserving it for them, but they still see it as income that's not being spent in your business. So that money is just being allocated, but it's considered by law as a distribution to the owner. Got it. So, I mean, in the, in this digital marketing world, there's so many people out there teaching, um, you know, work from home, mass, yeah. massive profitability. And yeah. there's this misnomer that you're going to be able to retain 60 to 70% profits in an, in a digital marketing agency. And that hasn't been my experience. Like we've yeah. got a team of 30 full-time employees, you know, we're always looking for a total compensation, you know, of around 30%. So that's what we pay ourselves the personal benefits as well as our profitability. Yep. Would you, it sounds like that's pretty much in line with where you, where you want to aim. For. Yeah. Ain't too shabby. Yeah, what I found was there was thresholds based upon the size of a business. So a brand new business. When you're just getting started. You probably are at the, at the. 60. Yes. And that's the confusion that people have. So when you're a solopreneur and you're generating a hundred thousand or $200,000 in revenue and you, you do all the work yourself, you should expect to be taking home, yeah, 60% of that stuff ultimately is going into your pocket. Mm -hmm. But the, the reason is, is because you're doing all the work. Now, there's a trap in this. If, if you continue to do all the work, you will, that business will stop growing because it's, it's, it's riding on your back. I, I, I do an example. I just did a, uh, a live presentation about two weeks ago, perhaps the, the last live presentation for a little bit right now. But I did a live presentation to 500 folks and I, I surveyed them and said, who in this room would rather make $100 an hour uh, and who would rather make $10 an hour by show of hands? And of course, every hand went up for $100 an hour. I said, now let me add in variable. What if you can only make $100 an hour through your own effort? It's only 24 hours a day. If you're exhausted or tired, that money stops. But the $10 an hour, it comes in, you know, a, a waiter walks over to you wherever you are on the beach and just hands you that $10 an hour every hour into perpetuity, regardless of what you're doing. Which would you rather have? Now, 
it was about 50-50. Most hands, uh, I say the majority still were toward the 100 because it's 10 times the amount of money. But mm -hmm. people start saying, you know, money on automatic, that's not bad. But I can't live off that. Then I add one final variable. I said, what if that $10 an hour could be turned into 20 or 40 or 100 or any number? What if there was no cap on that $10 an hour? It would grow over time. But the $100 an hour is capped, which we'd rather have. Now the $10 an hour became the most compelling. Every hand went up for that because that, that's an unlimited perpetual source of funds. Well, that, those three scenarios are the definition of a solopreneur that's carrying the business on their back versus the transitional state, the 100 versus 10 on automatic versus the fully implemented clock, what I call the clockwork business, a business that's running on automatic. If you're a small business and you're under 100, 200,000 in revenue and you're carrying the business on your back, you are positioning yourself to be capped. You're making a 60% or whatever profit, which feels great, but get to the next level, you need to start bringing on resources, people, uh, more technology. And those things will have costs associated with it. Therefore, you're going to go through that dip process, that 100 versus 10, but the 10 is at least on automatic. Once you understand that 10 is more valuable, then we start concentrating our energy on having other people do the work. And the ultimate asset test is if I can leave my business for a month or a year, but if I can leave my business for one consecutive month and the business runs on automatic in my absence and I get that, that 10 or 20 or $100 an hour on automatic, I have a business that can run into perpetuity on automatic and that's the business we want. No doubt. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a powerful, powerful insight. I definitely check out Clockwork because it will help you figure out how to put those systems and procedures right. in place so that you can land the clients, have the work done, take a little bit of a hit in profitability, still retaining that 30, 30%, 35% range. Yeah. Um, but you've got the freedom to live your desired lifestyle, to grow the business more if that's what you want to do, spend more time with the family if that's what you want to do, right? That's exactly right. And, and th that's why we start our businesses, right? We, we talked about it in the beginning. We start for two reasons financial freedom and personal freedom. And yet the two things we don't get are those elements. Profit first, by taking your profit first, I see it now with these 300,000 plus companies, you will achieve financial freedom. The personal freedom is all about the clockwork process. And, and that's why I document these books. And that's why it was so important to me, extracting ourselves from the business. The, the beautiful thing of being a small business owner is when the business can run in your absence, absence, you have the right to either go out and do whatever you want, hit the beach, or you can reinsert yourself in the business that gives you the most joy doing the work you like. I love my business. We have clockworked it, but I love being the spokesperson. I love doing interviews. I love writing books and I love speaking. So that's where the business has a, a that's where I insert myself in the business for my business to, to be fun for me. Yeah. So I just want to hop back to that question of, of profitability and this kind of concept that, oh, I should be able to retain 70, 75% even as I grow and even as I scale. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're going to put strain on yourself to have to do it yourself in that environment. Or it sounds like there's also a risk of either not being able to have enough resources to properly serve the client. Right. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like excess profitability can also be a danger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, you, you can go into, it's a, it's a start, you can be starving the business, right? So you could theoretically cut costs down where you have zero cost and every dollar comes in as profit, but then you have no resources delivering the work. There's a saying in a business, you like to, you want to cut the fat, you don't want to cut the muscle. Mm -hmm. And when you start cutting the muscle, that's when you bring harm to your organization. So it is a balance. We, it goes back to the ROI question. As you bring on more investments in your business and more cost, we have to ask ourselves, is this returning profit? Is it bringing about efficiency? Um, is it driving the, 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 the business forward in the way I intended? 
or are these arbitrary pot shots? And sadly, a lot of small businesses make these arbitrary pot shots, and that's the waste of money. So you can be too profitable. You, you, you can put so much money aside that you've now choked your business out from getting the oxygen it needs to fuel it forward. It's a rare scenario that happens. It's usually the reverse. It's usually yeah. that people are spending every penny. It's I think this is a really powerful conversation because usually when this concept of profitability comes up, people have this notion, oh, I'm going to grow a seven-figure business and it's going to have 60 to 70% profitability. Yeah. And then when they realize, oh man, I'm only getting like 20%, they, they don't realize that's actually probably pretty good and they should continue to grow and expand that profitability. But Shangri-La is 65% with a legitimately scaled business. Yeah. It's funny, in my own business, so I have multiple companies, but one of my core businesses is Prop First Professionals. We talked about Mike, he's a member of our organization. And we're, you know, it's a, it's a two and a half million dollar, well, at least last year we did over two and a half million and, and this year it'll be bigger than that, uh, we expect, we intend. But as we're growing that, we are hypersensitive to profitability. I mean, that's what our whole organization's about. So as we got to a stage, we took intentional pause at that stage and said, you know, where are the inefficiencies here? How do we increase the profitability to achieve numbers? We, we want to be as a demonstrative, but also for ourselves to be the elite of the elite. And uh, I'm proud to say, you know, we achieve that consecutive years now being, you know, among the elite profitability wise, but it's a concentrated effort. And the interesting thing is it was never by cutting costs. We never said, you know, we got to lay off staff or something for profitability sake. What we simply said is with our existing staff, how do we grow the organization even more without taking on more costs? And so we have um, for a company about 12 people here, that includes myself and my business partner, but most of us are actually part-time. So we're able to run as very lean and mean um, and sustain that profitability mm. and grow it. Very. And, and, I, and I think any organization can do that. I just wanted to show that as a demonstrative. I think any organization can do it. Once you get to a level, um, the next level up, if you will, is not bigger revenue all the time. It's, it's really, you know, kind of buttoning down the hatches on profitability and efficiency. Right. And it depends upon your goals, your targets, or you of look course, at yeah. operation or just have a nice tight operation with, with high profitability. Yeah. And I, I hope I'm encouraging people that our goal, I think should be health of an organization as opposed to size. I, I believe the right size business will find us. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a time I was like, Oh, I want the next Amazon. I want the next Tesla. You know, like I was talking like that. And now I'm like, do I really want that? No, I, I don't want that size or obligation. I want a healthy business. I, I want never to worry about money. I, I want my business to be of great impact. And once I define that, I'm, I'm finding the right size business. And it still feels like it's going to be a bigger business in regards to number of employees and revenue, but we might be close to it. I'm, I'm very happy where I am. Nice. So at the end of the day, it's about more, more income, more freedom and a bigger impact, right? And I think that's what you want in your business. That's what we want in our business. That's what our agencies want in their businesses. And that starts with, with a hyper focus on profitability. Easiest way to do it is to carve out your profit first and then put systems and procedures in place so you can grow without having to do it all yourself. Yeah, exactly. And I would just add more personal income as opposed to income from organizations, more personal income um, to a degree, because I think that's the way we can be of, of contribution. First, initially, you know, we, we are providers for ourselves, our family, but ultimately our towns, our community, our states, our world, right? And so I think we can achieve that um, by being fiscally responsible. And um, I think that's a necessary thing. And the beautiful thing is it doesn't need to be complex anymore. You can do it with your bank accounts. Yeah. Very, very great. I know we're, we're running out of time here. So just quick implementation items on this. I'll kind of go through my list. Help me add to it. 
Um, if you haven't implemented profit first, kind of start with just one bank account, yep. put 1% of your, of your total revenue into that as your profit account. At that stage, do you recommend taking a distribution against that on a quarterly basis or what do you recommend on that front? Yes, yes. So we, we start distributions immediately. Listen, I, I've been doing this for, I said 10 years, it's actually 11 years now. I've taken 44, 45 consecutive quarters of profit distributions for my business. And uh, they've gotten bigger and it's been a life-changing experience. But my favorite profit distribution was my first one. It, it was $8, $8. So I just started out, I was taking 1%. It was a month into it and there was $8 in the account. Or 16, I only took half. And uh, I remember going to the bank. I'm like, hey, please give me that in just singles. I want to, you know, fan myself with $8. And then I went to Starbucks. I slid the money across the table uh, and said, you know, give me the best thing you got, um, which is Starbucks is nothing, by the way. Nothing's $8. <laughs> and uh, but I got a cup of coffee. And I'll tell you, that was the best cup of coffee of my life. For the first time, I didn't use a credit card, debit card, expenses to the business. It was simply my business saying, hey, thanks for running me. Congratulations. Um, that feeling was powerful. And uh, so I encourage people, when you start doing this, start slow, but we're going to take a profit distribution as a reward to you. We want to build that emotional muscle around profitability. And I bet you your first distribution will be a proud moment because most businesses don't take quarterly profit distributions, most small businesses, but we should. Yeah, no doubt. Take, take, you know, take the profit, right? You get take the profit. The joy of it. Um, from there, like as you kind of expand this, you want to create the five key accounts figure out how, how your allocations are going to go. Um, and it's probably best to get with a profit first consultant to map that out, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, our, so we have 450 plus profit first professionals uh, globally that work in different industries, different categories, and can be of great service. It is really beneficial to have an outside set of eyes coming in who's proficient and knows it. It's kind of like a, tra a trainer at a gym. You can go to the gym and work out, but if you don't know what you're doing, it's, uh, first of all, you can get injured. Secondly, uh, it's hard to stay accountable to it because like, oh, it's painful and hurts. But a trainer knows the right exercises that you need to do and will hold you accountable. And that's what a prof first professional is like. Yeah. And Michael Tastner's in the group. So you can definitely tap in. Yeah, he's awesome. He can help you help you get all this set up. Um, and then if they want to learn more about Fix This Next and or you and kind of how how they can plug into you best. What's the best way to do that? Yeah. So fixthisnext.com is definitely a place to go to evaluate your business. If you want to learn kind of like the, the universe of books that I'm working on and get some free content, it's at my website, mikemichalowitz.com. No one can spell that. So the shortcut is mikemotorbike.com. I've never driven a motorcycle, by the way. It was my nickname in high school. So uh, go, go to mikemotorbike.com. It forwards you to my site. All the content you want is there and it's all free. Excellent. Well, this has been amazing. Um, Thanks, you know, you're one of my personal mentors from afar you know, through your <laughs> books and your training. So it was an honor to meet you in person. I appreciate you taking the time. And I know that uh, our members will get great value from, from today's session. Josh, thanks for having me. Have an awesome day. Good luck with the, with the coronavirus. Situation. Yeah, you too. Wishing you and everyone you know health. Yeah, absolutely.